0: All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for gracing us with your presence, your word, your love. Thank you for making this a day to remember, as are all your days for as long as we live. As your word states, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What a blessing, Father, to be grateful for all that you do. For it is as we abide in this reality that we are set free now and towards all of eternity. For that is eternal life, the life that you've given each believer when you save them. We pray that we learn to live in the gospel reality And that those still struggling in this world find hope that is theirs to claim. We pray also for those not able to be with us this morning. We do just ask that you bless this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. And may it challenge each of us as we hear your calling upon our lives. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Gospel, Salvation, and Sanctification, Part 27. I want to begin with the passage that we began with before class on Thursday. Go to Second Timothy 3.1. Spirit has a little bit more to say on this. He injected it last minute. Um, we didn't record it on Thursday. I just took up some announcement time to talk about those that were here. But he wants me to revisit this and expand upon it a little bit further. And it will give us a little bit more purpose as to why some of the topics that he's been bringing out, uh, specifically family and how the God of this world is really bent on destroying every family, godly family institution in the world. 2 Timothy 3.1, and he doesn't have any real boundaries the way that we might, uh, because he's a grotesque serpent. 2 Timothy 3, one, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate Weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. Let me give you, that's Ike Malotizo in the Greek up here on the board. That's captivate. Strongs has it as it means to take captive in war. To captivate. Maybe even you can consider you know, being led off in shackles. That's what it means to captivate. That's what the Greek word derives from. It means to take captive in war even, to subdue, to ensnare. So the visual here is that these individuals that personify that long list of heinous things, things that have nothing to do with the love of God, this is what they do, and this is their aim. They have no boundaries. It's not like they have honor. And that's what we talked about on Thursday evening. It's not like Satan and his goonies or his agents... Have any honor. They have no honor. They'll go directly into your family. They'll go directly into this family and try to shackle people up and walk them away. But they cannot do that. And this is what, and I believe this is why the Spirit wanted us to revisit this because they can't just do that. They're not able to do that without the volition of the person who they're shackling up. So I'm going to share something with you that I hadn't ever seen before. And it has to do with the women in this passage. And just so you know, most theologians agree that both genders are in view here. When it says weak women, most people believe that it applies to both genders. For years, I've always thought of this group as sort of uh, so run down with sin that they are, quote, pathetic in the way that the world might define the word. In other words, that Satan's agents are taking advantage of these sort of pathetic, weak women. In other words, I've always looked at this group as the self-described hopeless folks. But there's more depth to it than that. As a matter of fact, it turns out that Paul wasn't writing in a quote, let's feel sorry for these folks because they are passively depressed. He wasn't actually writing that way. But that's how I've always taken it. And this is the value even of going directly deeply into the original language, to ferret out the actual details. So Paul wasn't writing in a, you know, let's feel sorry for these folks because they are passively depressed. Paul's expressing a bit of scorn towards this group. Strong's uses the word contemptuous to describe these folks. Up here on the board, weak women from Gunai, Carion. Strong's refers to a woman with all a woman's weaknesses, a poor, weak woman, a silly woman, used contemptuously. In 2 Timothy 3.6, and that's the focus, used contemptuously. And that means there's a bit of scorn there. It's not necessarily, oh, poor baby, this kind of a thing you're being taken advantage of. There's a bit of scorn here towards this group. And again, it's not just women. In other words, these women are aware of what they are doing, even though they are technically stuck in sin. So, there's more to the story than just, oh, poor baby. These are the results of decisions that they've made. And so the Spirit's not letting us off the hook here. In other words, you don't just go, you know, they are responsible for my problems in life, that person's responsible for me being a mess. This one's responsible for me being an emotional basket case. No, you're responsible. Hmm. And that's how Paul was looking at it. He's just saying that, yes, if you're in that situation, there are a lot of snakes in this world that will most definitely take advantage of you being in that situation. Just like Satan will take advantage of the chest beater. The arrogance, just different forms of arrogance, Remember? He says, I see this one. This one's beating his chest over here. Let's just fan that flame till he explodes. It's just a different form of arrogance being exploited. And I hadn't seen that before. Not that directly. I hadn't noted Paul's scorn of this group. RB Theme Jr. on Weak Women. This refers to a woman whose brain has shrunk to the size of a pea and whose emotion has expanded to the size of a large basketball. In other words, she's all emotion and no sense. Well, you don't get there if you're consistently abiding in the Word of God. matter of fact, the Word of God takes people away from that situation. It's the person who chooses to remain in that situation, weighed down by sins. So these are the folks, in other words, that have chosen to ignore the perfect counsel of the Word of God, which is something I alluded to from the pulpit on Thursday evening in a more or less rubber-hits-the-road principle. No excuses Regardless of how good, quote, or bad, quote, your past has been, it is never the basis for sin. Your free will is. You are the one that chooses to remain in dysfunction junction. Now, that's not to say that what Paul was saying isn't true, because it certainly is. That if you're in dysfunction junction, by choice, then Satan's little serpents are going to take advantage of you. You're easy prey. And that's what he's been saying. That Satan goes after the ones and families that are the easiest to pluck off. And if you're abiding in arrogance, whether it's chest beating or like I call it, the covert type of arrogance, which would be the weak women in view here, he's going to take advantage of you and he has no honor. So if you can relate to being a person, quote, weighed down with sins, then the Spirit's suggesting that you buckle down on the Word. There's no other pathway to deliverance. And there's a bit of scorn there. There's a bit of, hey, listen, don't just point fingers at the person who's coming into the family structures and making their way in because you're the one who opened the front door. You're the one who said, come on in. You're the one who was too preoccupied with your computer screen or with your beer or with your football game or with what your pumps or with your makeup or whatever the heck it is you're preoccupied with and you left the door open. You see? That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I just wrote a blog on this. Take responsibility for any kind of gift that he gives you. Any kind of gift, regardless of what it is. He's given you the gift to choose, right or wrong. He's given you a good conscience. He's given you His helper, the very best He's got, God the Holy Spirit, to say to you, what you're doing right now, what you're thinking, that pathway you're going on, it's dead wrong. And at the end of it, you're going to be weighed down with sin. And you're a member of a family you might be the person that he plucks off. You might be the one that's not paying attention and he plucks off the weaker one than you. That's all the Spirit's saying here. Take personal responsibility for the things that he's given you. After all, he gives you every breath, amen? He's given you this life. He's given you this church. He's given you these spiritual gifts to keep this church going. He's given you that car outside, the fuel in the car, the money to, make the, to buy the fuel in the car. He's given you all that stuff. So he's just saying, you know, keep your perspectives correct. Verse 6 again. For among them there are, uh, are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And remember the reason why this particular scripture came up is because of the location of this malady. It is in households in verse 6, which really speaks to both the household and church families. Because back in the day, church was often held in households. So if he can go in a household, your home, in other words, or he can come into this home. He has no honor. So don't be surprised how he does that and how he tries to blow up families. Satan will use the weakest individual's in the family, to try and blow up an entire family. Consider your own families, and the strains on them over the years. Consider them. Consider your own families right now. And consider the strains that have been placed on the unity of your family. And consider the reasons. Drugs, alcohol, sexual sins, abuses, etc., etc., etc. Those are the things that people are weighed down with sins that way. That makes them like the weak women. These are all symptoms of weaknesses in our families. So ask yourselves right now, as we get situated... Family, what is it to you? What is it to God? What is it to you? Some people would say their family is their God. They might not say it that way, but that's exactly what they, quote, say. You have God, I've got my children. You have Jesus, I've got my family. So their family actually becomes their God. But what is family to you? And then, what is it to God? These are a pair of questions that the Spirit's had us focusing on as of late. Since after salvation, we are members of God's family. Go to 1 John three 1, 1 John 3, one. So he's got us sort of postured on this topic of family. And it's interesting because he's using it as the stepping stone or the proof point for sanctification. And I'd argue that none of you saw that coming, myself included, that he was going to use family as the stepping stone, as the proof point, as the practical application. He does it all the time. He doesn't just teach you quote-unquote doctrine. He says, here's doctrine and here's how it's typically applied, and here's an example that we can all relate to. That's why he always picks on things like money, family, sex, relationships. Why? Because everybody's able to relate to those things. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 After salvation we are members of God's family. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. So we're members of his family. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. So we are indeed, up here in the board, family. We're family. This is family. And all, for all intents and purposes... It doesn't get any better than this. You might say, oh, my family is awesome. I love my secular family. Fine, whatever. But maybe they're part of this family as well. They don't have to be part of this local assembly, but part of the capital C family. We are family. Our family will endure. It's not a matter of if. It's, it will. We are going to spend eternity together. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, man. There he is again. And he gave, God gave him another pulpit. I'm just kidding. He doesn't do that. That's not going to happen. Why not embrace our heavenly family now, even more so than our earthly ones? And I'm not suggesting we all get together and abandon our earthly family. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying this is the family that we have for all of eternity. Why not embrace it? Why not draw strength from it? Why not encourage one another in it? With the same exuberance that we do with our own kids, our own siblings, our own aunts and uncles, in the family. Why not encourage each other that same way, if not even more? Because that's what the Bible says. Especially of those of the faith. Why not do that? Why does that... I hate to say it this way, but why does the pastor have to stand behind the pulpit and say, why is our Christmas spirit so low? Everybody's like, I thought, ah, it's the scarecrow. <laughs> why did I, what, Everybody's got ideas, right? I think we should do this. Great, it's your job. What? Whoa. <laughs> I just want, I'm wearing my chief hat. Everybody's got ideas, but nobody wants to execute. Why is that? I don't know. Maybe we've lost sight of the point on the board. Maybe we like just talking about family. Maybe we just like, you know, receiving the blessings of being a family. Well, the bald guy, he's definitely part of the family, and he just feeds me all the time. I just sit there with my mouth open like an infant. And I'm like, it's coming in. Bzz. That's what it feels like sometimes. When it comes to the airplane, everybody's like, right? and then if I miss, it's like, you missed. It's like, Pff. they make a mess and they take their Cheerios and throw it on the floor. It's what it's like sometimes, right? But it's not a one man band. You're all supposed to be here doing this thing for each other. I shouldn't have to remind you of little things like that. Those are things that should come across my desk for mere approval. So why not embrace our heavenly family now, even more so than our earthly ones, and let's pray that they are one and the same. So let's embrace the season. Everybody's up in arms over the season, right? Let's embrace the season. It's, you know, it's Christmas time. How about this, for starters? The greatest gift you can ever give a family member is the gospel. The heck with iPods and Christmas presents and what do they call them, Yuletide? What is it? I don't know. know The heck with all that stuff. How about focusing your time on the gospel? That's the thing that actually has eternal value. Nah. I'll just buy them a bottle of cheap perfume and a pack of smokes or whatever Uncle Jimmy wants. Satan knows this, the point on the board, and he hates families. Satan actively hates your families, and that should make you mad. Household, church, whatever. For whatever reason now, the Spirit has had me focus your attention on sexual sins. Why? Maybe it's a problem in this church. I don't know. That's none of my business. I just teach the Word of God. But here he is. He's got families in one sense, which is a picture of, let's just say, purity in the purest form. And then he's got sexual sins. Well, how the heck do these things? Because this one blows up this one. This one doesn't exist very well if this one exists at the same time. They're antagonistic. This one's good, this one's evil. This one promotes unity, this one promotes disunity. This promotes healthy relationships, this promotes perverted, awful relationships. So for whatever reason, the Spirit has had me focus your attention on sexual sins. Why? Suppose it's because so many people, Christians included, suffer from them. The area that seems to be exploding into full view is pornography. So it's not even... He's got very specific here for a reason. Why? I'm just a teacher. I listen to what he tells me to teach, I teach. If it's uncomfortable... Why is it uncomfortable? Honestly, if it's uncomfortable to you, why is that? Why can't you just look at it and say, this is a reality, this is a situation? Unless there's something going on, unless there's something you're dealing with, which is fine because it's all private in your own soul. But for whatever reason, pornography has been coming up, which is propagated by universal access to the Internet. I'm going to go quickly through this as a point of review. Jill Manning, the sociologist, says research reveals many systemic effects of Internet pornography that are undermining an already vulnerable culture of marriage and family. Listen, it's hard enough to get people to understand and believe that marriage is there for a reason. I'm talking about Christians even, so-called Christians at least. So this thing is just sort of throwing gasoline on a fire that's already lit. Even more disturbing is the fact that the first Internet generations have not reached full maturity, so the upper limits of this impact have yet to be realized. In other words, it's, it's still going at a very it's increasing in pervasiveness at a high rate. So it's an unavoidable issue. Again, it's antagonistic to families. And I don't care what you say. It's not from God. You might say, oh, well, we're all consent. No, it's not from God. As a man thinks in his head, so he what? Is. If you're looking at another individual at all, and you're married, It's adultery. Here are some statistics. I'll go quickly because these are just unbelievable statistics, but they are what they are. One in five mobile searches are for porn. That's 20%. For everyone that owns a cell phone or a tablet, think about kids. That's going to be a very popular gift this year under Christmas trees. Cell phones and tablets. One in five searches is for porn. And people are given their eight-year-olds cell phones. And then walking away. Another statistic I didn't list, 71% of all children hide things from their parents on their phones. 24% of mobile users admit to having porn on the device. That's one in four. The internet porn business is three billion dollars. The overall business is thirteen billion, and uh, the vast majority of internet porn is free. So you might say, "Oh, three billion dollars—that's a lot of things." No, take that number and multiply it by. Let me let me think in my head. What did I see? Multiply it by almost a, probably a hundred. I think, if I'm doing my math correct. In other words, like ninety something percent is freely downloaded, and the $3 billion is the, what's left. So the number is much bigger than just the business appears to be. 64% of Christian men, 15% of Christian women admit some won't on either front. So the number is probably going to ratchet up a little bit because some people are dishonest. Watching porn at least once per month. Regarding children and teens, 9 out of 10 boys, Six out of ten girls are exposed to porn before 18 years old. First exposure for boys is 12 years old. That's unbelievable. 15% of boys, 9% of girls have seen child porn. 32% of boys, 18% of girls have seen bestiality. That's unbelievable. That's one in three boys. Among young adults today, porn use is not the exception. It is the norm. On college campuses, one researcher comments, the young women who talk to me on campuses about the effect of pornography on their intimate lives speak of feeling that they can never measure up, that they can never ask for what they want, and that if they do not offer what porn offers, they cannot expect to hold a guy. So now you got otherwise, I guess, you know, healthy women maybe, wondering why they can't compete with a computer screen. They say, I can't compete with a fantasy. Young men are affected just as much. The young men talk about what it is like to grow up learning about sex from porn and how it is not helpful to them in trying to figure out how to be with a real woman. For the first time in human history, the images possess a form there. The images, power and allure, have supplanted that of real naked women. today. Real, naked women are just bad porn. Well, that's a tough thing to swallow, if you're the woman. As pornography continues to infect adults, here are some more facts to consider. And these are just statistics, folks. There's the website, www.covenanteyes.com. 67% of college men, 49% of college women believe porn is an acceptable expression of sexuality. 68% of young men, 18% of young women, watch porn at least once per week. 68% of divorces involve one party meeting another over the Internet. 56% of divorces involve at least one party with an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. That's a big deal, folks. So the net-net of all this is this. Satan has used sex, specifically pornography, at inconceivable ages and with increasing pervasiveness to distort healthy relationships. Why? Because healthy relationships, a kingdom divided, cannot stand. So to distort a healthy relationship means to distort a whole family. And Satan what? Hates families. Families. Sounds like he's got quite a wedge, doesn't he? And sounds like he's hammering that with a sledgehammer into the souls of young children. He's indoctrinating them very early on, exposing them, normalizing things that are completely ungodly. And if you're one of those people and your soul right now is, searching for some way, frantically, to justify your own involvement in any of this, you have a huge problem. And the Spirit is trying to convict the heck out of you right now. So stop saying, it doesn't apply to me, la, la, la. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And if you're planning on having a family, or if it's just you and your wife now, whatever, you're going to have kids, all this matters. You cannot write it off. It matters. Families are being destroyed. Nobody wants to talk about it. You hear know how quiet it is not here? You? you guys would probably rather talk about the wreaths about this point, right? <laughs> I'll do it, all right? Just cut it out. Stop. I'll do the wreaths. I'll go to Walmart right now. Stop. Look it's not about condemnation. I, you know I, I love you all, but it's not my business. I really don't want to know what you people do in your spare time. I really don't. So it's not about me, so don't look at me, don't say, "Oh, he's, you know he's this, you know, he's this like, fanatical guy, and he's like you know, he's doing his job, he's, you know, he's hitting his heart, he's doing his job, but it doesn't count for me. No, this is the love of God manifest <laughs> in a pulpit that was ordained for your soul. So stop looking to your left and right. Stop looking at Uncle Uncle Jimmy. I've seen what's on his computer screen. One time I showed up and he was like, oh! (laughs) So stop pointing your fingers. All Satan's trying to do is use any lever possible to distort and destroy healthy relationships. And I'm not the one even... If it wasn't in the Bible, I couldn't teach it. Nothing ever happens in a vacuum either. It's like a domino effect. Satan uses the domino effect to destroy marriages and then attack the innocent children. As their whole worlds are spun wildly out of control, riddled with self-esteem issues, anger, mommy-daddy issues, etc., etc. He's not stupid. He said, if I can take mom and dad out, the three kids are doomed. They're going to have to at least deal with the chaos that is mom and dad. What was the problem? Well, I got dad hooked on porn. I got mom hooked on porn on the side. Nobody knows about that. They're all fantasizing about this, that, and the other person. Next thing you know, the kids are where? In La La Land, being unattended to. And you just gave them an iPhone. Now they're getting it. And nobody's paying attention. And everybody's, oh, it's not a big deal. Not, I no, you don't. No, you don't. There's no upside to porn. There's no upside to porn. There's no upside to sexual sins, folks. There's no leeway. God doesn't say, it's okay because, you know, you had such a crappy childhood. This little pocket of sin over here, it's okay for you. That is wrong. And that's just you trying to justify something ungodly in your life. It's not okay. It's not. So just say it to yourself. It's not okay. Say it to yourself. Pray on it. Say this is not okay. This is not the kind of life Dad wanted for me. You think Dad wanted you to be in front of a computer screen, fantasizing about some, what, some derelict? What? Who? What do you? You think that's what Dad wants? No. It's, there's no way, so stop it. Stop trying to justify ridiculous things. Just remember this again. Satan hates families. And many families, I would argue, are destroyed before they're even formed. Before the two people even say, I do. Why? Because one or both of them are affected by this. And they haven't dealt with it before they get married. And then they get married, and it propagates right into the marriage, and then they wonder why the marriage is a total mess. Deal with it, because that's what he's saying. Deal with it. There's no upside to sexual sins. Satan actively hates your family's household, church, etc. There's hope, though. So all of that, all of that, the, 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 the impression, the usage of the pulpit to impress on you the import of what's going on in this world on the backside is go to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Matthew eleven twenty-eight, and the reason he has this, he has me teach with such force, is because some of you are putting on blinders. Some of you are putting your fingers in your ears, going la la la, that's la, not for me, it's not for me, it's not for me, but it is for you, and it takes that amount of force to possibly get through to you. And unfortunately, as a shepherd, I know this to be true. Some of you still will not listen. For a variety of reasons, who knows? But that's again between you and the Lord. But we are family after all. And I'm here to fight the good fight. And I'm doing my job. And you ought to be grateful. So there's hope for the weary. Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, And I will give you rest. There's no rest for the person who is actively, scornfully disrupting the family structure from within or without. There's a reason why this very family gathering on a Sunday morning is riddled with talk of ungodly things. Trust me, it's not that if you think you're uncomfortable, all right. Any one of you, come up right now and start talking about sexual sins to this crowd. Oh, it's a blast. Listen, it's ugly, but we're family. It's no good, but this is the way it is. There's a reason why this very family gathering on a Sunday morning is riddled with talk of ungodly things. As uncomfortable as some topics may be, It's no different than the uh, analogous conversations parents have to have with their own children inside the household. God is merely having an intimate conversation with all of you this morning about a topic that many don't exactly like to address, sexual sins. So be it. I suppose since most sexual sins are, quote, hidden, the human flesh exploits the darkness to avoid confrontation, it's not like we walk around each other and say, Hey, good to see you on this Sunday morning. How's the sexual sin thing going? Right? Most people are like, Hey, you know, I, you know, I got riled up drunk last night, or, you know, who knows? I don't, maybe people don't even really do that either. It's not that it's funny, but you know what I'm saying? There's some sins you kind of admit, there's others you don't really talk about. The sexual assault, people don't really. Generally talk about them, unless you're outside the church and you're being patting each other on the back because you think it's like some kind of a good thing. But that's the world. So these sexual sins are hidden. And the flesh will exploit the darkness to avoid confrontation. But God, not Pastor Ed, God is saying to each of you, let's address this right now. No more pretending, keeping it Private, of course, not my business, not the, anyone else's business, what your problems are in this area. But God is saying to you, as an individual, quit pretending and let's get down to business. Let's root this thing out of your soul. It's really not meant to condemn any of you, rather, it's to begin a pathway towards healing grace. We are here to support one another without having to know all the gory details. Of each other's personal sins, just being here together is encouraging. So let's not lose heart by rejecting what the Spirit wants us to hear. Go to Galatians six nine. Galatians six nine. So as difficult and as uncomfortable some of these quote conversations are, and they're really conversations. I'm just a facilitator. They're really just conversations between you and God. They're encouraging. It's encouraging to be together, to go through certain trials together. So let's not lose heart by rejecting what the Spirit wants us to hear. Galatians 6.9 Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. That's how we started. Why not spend more time on each other? Why not encourage one another? The way that this kind of family can. There's certain encouragement you can give another member of God's family that you might it might just fall on deaf ears at the Christmas gathering because so and so is an unbeliever. As the head of this church, I am kicking off the conversation I am, quote, doing good by all of you, for you are especially of the household of the faith. So I'm doing my job. Now it's up to you. The wonderful news, after all that, is that while Satan hates families, God loves families. You are never alone. God is able. God heals all wounds. God heals sinners and families from the inside out. So pray. And when he's saying that from the inside out, he's talking about, listen, I need to go to the very root issue here. The root issue is not pornography or even sexual sins. The root issue is a self-esteem issue, most likely. Some other issue that has rejected the grace of God. The issue. Those are just symptoms, folks. So when he picks on something as pervasive as sexual sins, those are just symptoms. You are never alone. God is able. God heals all wounds. God heals sinners and families from the inside out. So pray. And what he's really saying there, I believe, to most of you or all of you, is that I need to work on the root cause issue. You don't just say, all right, I'm going to turn my computer off, okay? I'm just going to turn it off. Instead of being in front of it seven days a week, I'll just turn it off. I'll only only be in front of it on the weekends. And that's just a band-aid. That's just a person that's trying to do something religious. That's just someone who's just, look at God's trying to say, I need to go all the way back. Deep as you go, inside your soul, the areas that are very uncomfortable with you, the only way that's ever going to happen is if you sit down and pray. You're not going to get to the root problem of this while you're driving, listening to Led Zeppelin on your way to work. <clears throat> I don't I can't think of it. Stay away to heaven, I don't know, which is kind of ironic. but right? Driving on your way to work, listening to ACDC, you don't pray to God about sexual sins on the fly. No. You have to go to Him in deep prayer, consistently. What's uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17? Pray without ceasing. That's how it goes. So do not play this little game like, okay, I'll just do it less. Okay, I'll just make myself think about so-and-so less. I'll just fantasize less. I'll just, just buy my own mere will, I'll just do this thing outside of the Word of God, outside of prayer, outside of consult with God, outside of asking God for deliverance from that problem. I'll just do it because I'm, I'm the man. I've done everything. I'll just do it. No, you won't. You're a fool. You're a fool. And Satan knows it. He's like, they'll be back. Look at them over here. They'll be back. There's no patch. There's no pill that I know of that you can take for sexual sins. Is there? Not that I know of. Hmm. Go to Jeremiah 17, 14. Jeremiah 17, 14. The only thing that can heal you, folks, is the Word of God. I can't do it. Nobody else can do it. Only God can do it. God says, seek me and you'll find me. Jeremiah 17, 14. So Satan hates families. God loves families. God wants families to stick together. He doesn't want them to implode or explode. He wants families to stick together. There's a reason why we have a family, even like this one. He wants families to stick together. And when something happens, the first thing you need to do is go to him in prayer. Not even point fingers. Oh, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. You have this big, you know, fiery blowout with you and your spouse or whoever. Because everybody's blaming each other in the meantime. You know what's going on. Jeremiah 17, 14. Heal me, O Lord. And what? What? I will be healed. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are my praise. I like the message up here on the board for Jeremiah 17, 14. God, pick up the pieces. Put me back together again. You are my praise. Ever feel like that? You ever feel like you're in a billion pieces on the floor and nobody else seems to give a care? Well, God cares. Pick up the pieces. Put me back together. I praise you. Is that your prayer life? Is that what you think of God? Or do you think you're going to kick the habit on your own? you think you're going to somehow be able to pick up the bazillion shards of glass that represent your shattered life and going to be able to piece them all back together on your own because you're that fantastic? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You have to go to him in utter humility. And he'll help you. And that's the whole point. Go to Psalm 103 three two. But if you don't go to him in humility, you're doomed. You're just going to repeat it. You're going to be dysfunction junction all over again for the rest of your life. And then you know how it is. Since you affect other people, it's possible you drag other people down with you possible you blow through a marriage, maybe two, maybe five, maybe ten, I don't know, blowing up families along the way, children, maybe adulterate, maybe blow up someone else's family along the way. Who knows? Because why? You failed to address the core issue, You never went to God, at least not in humility. You went to Him complaining about your own past, how terrible your upbringing was, how terrible your life was, your parents, your whoever, What's that got to do with you now? Don't you have a free will? Did you lose your free will somewhere along the way? Did you let somebody take that from you too? I don't think so. So these are difficult lessons, but this is as real as it gets, folks, because all he's saying to you, he's saying, cut it out. The only way that you're going to be healed is through me. And the only way you're going to find healing is if you humble yourself before me. Because you, my friend, are going to go the next 10, 20 years in your arrogance, and you're going to realize at the end of all that, it was always me. And hopefully you do that before you die, before you blow up any more of your own life or someone else's, with all your symptoms. 103.2 Psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who what heals all your diseases. Addicted to a computer screen filled with whatever is a disease in a sense, but it has a cure. It's Him. There's no sickness, there's no sin that can't be overcome. It's already been paid for on the cross. Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with loving and kindness and compassion. Go to Psalm 147.3. Psalm 147.3. That's all he's saying, folks. Don't get hung up on the sting. That's inevitable. What is he really saying? He's saying we got to get by that so that we can get to the healing part. We, we got to get you down on your knees. We got to get you all the way down on your knees. So that I can heal you. Psalm 147.3 He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Now what that means for you? Well again, that's between you and the Lord. But this I know. God loves families. So all of this the real key thing that He's trying to knit together in your soul is that He loves families. He instituted them. He ordained them. He wants you to have healthy family relationships, not unhealthy ones, healthy family relationships. Isn't this, I mean, is, is it just me or is, is everybody here fed up with the dysfunctional family? Are you just, amen? I just, it's like, it's almost like, does anybody actually have a not dysfunctional family? I mean, I I agree, nobody's got a perfect family. But you know what I'm saying? It's almost like if you're not dysfunctional, there's something wrong with you. Like, you know what I'm saying? it's, It's unbelievable. And dysfunction is the norm. It's unbelievable the way things are going. But God loves families. But Satan's picking off the weak people before they even become families even, possibly. You are never alone. God is able. God heals all wounds. God heals sinners and families from the inside out. So pray. In a more practical sense, up here on the board, since God loves families, for every wound received, there is an ointment in the word of God, bar none. For every one given, there is forgiveness, bar none. Be encouraged. God loves you. Think about that. Put that in your soul. Live on it. For every wound received, there's an ointment in the word of God bar none. So stop pointing fingers and go to God. It's possible the person that wounded you, if it is a person, if it's not yourself, may never repent. May never apologize to you. May never ask for forgiveness from you. So? So? That's not the ointment. The ointment is the word of God. For everyone given, there is forgiveness, bar none. There's nothing that you've done that's so bad. Ah, but I was the worst mother ever to my children. And they're all screwed up because of me. No, they're not. They're screwed up because they have a free will and they're stuck in arrogance and they don't want Jesus Christ. They don't want the word of God. They don't want truth. They just want to blame you. Cause you keep accepting it as fact, and it's not your fault. You may have contributed to some, you know, late starts. But let's face it, folks—they're forty, they're thirty, they're twenty-five. They're grown-ups. They want to be adults in every other way, except for when they can blame you for your mistakes. And I've never—I'm yet to, to to meet one perfect parent, except DJ. Kathy's like, nope, I object. (laughs) Kathy comes flying out of the mother's room. Nope! It's not true. (laughs) Right? So, where where does healing exist then? Healing has nothing to do with trying to even necessarily look for reconciliation with those that have wounded you. You need to go to the Word of God. It doesn't say, mommy heals me. It doesn't say, Daddy heals me. Now there may be some healing that goes on as a result, some closure, fine. But there may not be. And God's not a liar. And the Word says, go to Him for healing, and He will what? He'll heal you. So a lot of these little, oh, I almost said it, punk kids need to stop blaming their parents for their problems. They're grown-ups. You don't get that out anymore. You don't get it out anymore. Gone. Poof. Time to make up your own mind about God. And if you're the one who actually did do a little damage in someone's soul, well, guess what? Jesus Christ died on the cross for that. And he doesn't want you living in guilt or condemnation as if you weren't forgiven for it. Why? Listen, there's no unity for as long as that stuff exists in either party. It can't be. There's no, but yet God loves families, and God loves you. If he did that, can he not do this? If he did that, can he not heal you in time? Can he not deliver you? If he can deliver you from spiritual death, can he deliver you in time? Yeah, I think so unless you doubt God. And that's where that little covert arrogance thing comes in, even all the way back to the weak women example. Remember that God knew of the most heinous sins you'd ever perpetrate, and he sent his son to pay for them. I didn't realize this yesterday morning when I included the following song lyrics in today's lesson, but it just happened to be on our sing-along list. Honest to goodness. I had perused it real quick. You know, I don't remember what's on there. Could be dangerous if I decide to sing. I haven't practiced at all. But this song came up as I was preparing the lesson yesterday morning. This song came up, the lyrics. And it's really to encourage you Victory in Jesus. I heard an old, old story. I'm not going to sing. Because I don't want to take the thunder away from Brian, you know what I mean? Because I'm like Pavarotti, except smaller. I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on cavalry to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning, Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever, he sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again, and cause the blind to see. And then I cried, Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Isn't that awesome? For those of you sticking around for the sing-along, this will be wonderful to revisit with musical accompaniment. Oh, and by the way, on that note, to sing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you know what that is? That's actually a command in the Bible. Go to Colossians 3.14. Now, that's not a call. I'm not trying to browbeat you into staying after service because it doesn't say to what size the audience has to be and all that kind of stuff. So don't think I'm trying to, you know, pressure you into singing. Some of you, I'm really not trying to do that. (laughs) I've heard you sing. I'm just kidding. Colossians 3.14 <clears throat> so it's true to sing is a command believe it or not colossians three fourteen. beyond all these things put on love which is the perfect bond of unity let the peace of christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful let the word of christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with what Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Again, singing is a command in the Bible, believe it or not. As we noted with Paul's words just now in Colossians 3.14, beyond all these things, put on what? Love which is the perfect bond of unity. Well, guess what families depend on? Unity. Unity. So whatever transpires in love, it's for the sake of unity. It's what the Holy Spirit, our helper, is going to help promote in our families. That's the beauty of getting together, even maybe even praying together as family. Eating together, fellowshipping together with one another. You don't have to be the same age. I mean, look at, Joey's a little older now, so we're more parallel. In t- but I talk to Shani now. He's only a 15-year-old kid. And we have wonderful conversations across the dinner table. And we're, what, 30 years apart almost, right? So it's like, how does that work? How does three generations go by, but yet we have a common thread? Because of the Lord. The unity is actually found at the Lord. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You want to have a good family life? Don't be in love with a computer screen. Don't be in love with your neighbor's wife. Don't be in love with your neighbor's husband. Don't be in love with anything that's nothing but ordained by God, as far as family goes. Families depend on unity, folks. So it makes total sense when we talk about the filling of the Spirit, the controlling of the Spirit, His very ministry in our lives as helper, that everything the Spirit's going to motivate you to think, say, or do is going to be consistent with love. Everything. Some of you might be offended, I don't know, that something so seemingly optional as singing to one another is a command, but may I remind you of the nature of God's commands. Commands ought to be considered as the expressed will of God. He doesn't give them to you, in other words, to oppress you. He gives them to keep he gives them to you because he loves you. That's his will for you, and he knows what's best for you. So he gives you commands to keep you sort of on this narrow road, so to speak. In obedience, we will follow his commands, revealing his love in us, but his commands aren't ever meant to spawn religion. His spirit convicts us to obey, for example, to love. That's, what, that's how we ought to look. We shouldn't look at his commands like an adolescent would look at rules of the house. Oh, they're just trying to press me. You know, and they put their bandana on and jump out the window, run down the street. I'm running away. Again, it's not, this isn't teenage land. This is true love. And so when he commands you to do something, he's trying to protect you from yourself most of the time. The greatest command we have is to walk in love for God and for others, as per Jesus in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six to 40. Something Paul echoes, go to Ephesians 5.1. This is a command, Ephesians 5.1. Jesus answered it as the greatest law of all. He presents it as the, the law for the church. Paul subsequently presents it in a variety of ways to the church as the command to follow. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore, if you think of God the Holy Spirit's ministry, He's going to do anything He can to minister to you to do this very thing. Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. That's a command, to walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So there's a command there, folks. And God's just saying, listen, the very best I have for you down here in this horrible world is to love. To love. That's the very best I've got for you. And if you happen to be a member of a family, then love one another. You're at least a member of one you can always identify with. And that's the capital C church family. So walk in love. The Lord Jesus Christ has given us two tremendous eternal gifts in order that after salvation, we are equipped to walk in love as commanded up here in the board the Word and the Spirit, it's upon these two fundamental active gifts that our entire spiritual life is animated. We looked at Hebrews 4.12 and we looked at John 14.16-26 to 26, to show that the Word of God is alive and powerful and to show that the Spirit was given to bring into remembrance, guess what? The Word. So He didn't leave us alone. It's critically important that a person understands the spiritual life after salvation. And since the Spirit of God has been given to us as one of the two mainstays of said life, we cannot afford to be confused at all with his ministry. And it's been a heinous attack, heresy after heresy, truth be told, on the topic of the Spirit's ministry in our lives. A lot of Christians have it dead wrong, and it's kept them in bondage. It's given them various forms of religion, even to cling to as a result so let's review this very quickly one last time the basics this is has to do with the spirit's ministry god gives us commands the umbrella command is to love we just noted it walk in love god's spirit convicts our conscience of right and wrong we all have one and we have a free will to obey or disobey said conviction those are the basics We have the will of God. Remember, command is really just the express will of God. So we know the will of God. It's in front of us. We don't have to remember all the commands like line item. No, it's the will of God. You know what the will of God is in your life. You don't have to remember them or regurgitate them. So you have the will of God. He gave you a good conscience. And then he says, I'll take my spirit, and I'll convict that good conscience of right or wrong, and then you decide. Sometimes you decide for, sometimes you decide against. Sometimes your roommate wins, the flesh. Sometimes a new creature wins. But you end up being forced into making a decision. But there are different kinds of commands. Not all of God's will is the exact same. Silly to think it is. Some commands are general, like walk by the Spirit or love one another. These are lifestyle issues. Some commands are more specific, like don't fornicate or don't lie. These are more isolated. So there's general and specific So the issue at hand is learning to ask the right questions. In other words, what does the Bible mean when it commands us to say, be filled? In other words, what is the Spirit going to do and how do I know that I'm walking in love? Well, when we obey, we are filled. Because that's all the Spirit's ever going to do, is control us to influence us to walk in love. Everything we think, say, or do, towards love. And those are absolutely consistent with the will of God or His commands. So when we obey the will of God, commands, i.e., we are filled, controlled by the convicting ministry of the Spirit. When we don't, we aren't. However, filling is relative to each application of God's commands in our lives. Some commands span our whole lives. Love one another. Well, what does that mean? Can you love Uncle Jimmy when he's not in your presence? Of course you can. Can you love your parents? Of course you can. Can you love Jesus? Of course you can. Can you love Jesus and sin? Of course you can. So these things overlap. Some of you need to throw out that garbage thinking that you are somehow completely in or out of God's plan, somehow tying it arbitrarily to other false doctrines that grieving the Spirit somehow ejects you from the presence of the light in your life. Those are doctrines of demons, my friends, meant to lead you directly back into bondage after salvation. So, as we emerge from our deep dive on the gospel proper, what the Spirit's trying to ensure is that you don't step off the very first step right back into prison. It was for freedom that you were set free. The last thing the Spirit's going to motivate you to do is cling to something religious regarding His Spirit's ministry. His Spirit is called what? Capital H, helper. What's He going to help you to do? Walk in love. Follow God's commands. Follow the will of God. That's what's pleasing to Him. Be grateful. Pray. That's the will of God. That's what he's going to help you to do. Don't make a religion out of that. Don't make a religion out of that. Just like, listen, suppose you're in a marriage and, um, you know, you're the guy and you say, I love my wife and kids. I work 150 hours a week. I never see them. I never encourage them. I never touch them. I never look at them. I never sit down with them. I never do anything, but I work my butt off. And I love them. Are you sure? How, what do they feel about that? How do they feel about that brand of love? Where the heck's dad? Does he even love me? What's, what's going on? Where is this guy anyways? How about that? But the religion of the father in that sense is, as long as I do fatherly things, as long as I do manly things, I'm the best dad around. Well, what do you think about that? Do you think you can just do things? Do the will of God? And somehow God, the Holy Spirit, is going to be pleased with that? The same God that sees your heart? Why are you doing it? Because I'm doing it to be religious, you see. I'm even confessing my sins because it's the religious thing to do. Well, God sees the heart. So, the right perspective if your conception of the filling of the Spirit is perverted, even in the least bit, then your understanding of the fundamental doctrine of sanctification will be proportionally perverted. Again, if your conception of the filling of the Spirit is perverted, and all filling means is to be controlled, He's going to influence you, He's your helper. If your conception of the filling of the Spirit is perverted even in the least bit, then your understanding of the fundamental doctrine of sanctification will be proportionally perverted. Here's the proper perspective, and then I've got to pick a spot to close. Someday I'll get through all my notes. Here's the proper perspective regarding the Spirit's ministry in your life. And remember, the Spirit is characterized as our Helper not someone who's pulling us in and out of the Father's plan somehow. That's something man invented out of religion. If you are saved, then you are always in God's plan, always walking in the light because the light, the Lord God, is always with you. However, due to your own disobedience, your sin, your experience may be dimmed. You never lose the light, folks. That is a evil concoction of man. You never lose the Spirit's ministry because you sin. What does that leave the unbeliever? Think about that. You're always... In other words, listen. He's your helper. He's perfect. Do you really think that the greatest helper you got is going to somehow leave you because you sinned again? Do you really think he's going to leave your side the same one who indwells you, by the way, but you think he's going to stop ministering to you? Don't you think in many ways he has to minister you even harder when you're about to sin and even after you sin? Don't you think that's, who do you think's convicting you? Who do you think's saying, confess it now. Let's get on with this thing. Who do you think's right there saying, confess it? You think that's your human flesh? That sounds like works to me. Think about that. Who's right there saying, confess it right now? And confess isn't some, some dude in a collar or, or, or some protocol. No, it's like, did you sin or not? Yeah, I sinned. Good. Now we see eye to eye. Can we press on here to maturity? Can we press on some more in love? You don't lose the spirit, folks. And your very sanctification depends on your conceptualization of that very point. You don't lose the Spirit's ministry in your life. Otherwise, it'd take human work to get them back. If you lost them, how do you get them back? I have to do a human work to get them back because I lost his ministry somehow. Well, that sounds like religion, doesn't it? It's the way people are, though. Give me religion. Sounds like that old battle cry. Give me religion or give me death. How about both at the same time? So, I'll leave you with this. Because we got some singing to do. -ah. Stop assuming that the spiritual life is a light switch. As if you're somehow ejected from the light when you grieve the spirit. Of course he's going to be grieved when you sin. Because he's right there with you saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Oh, (laughs) you did it. I know. Because I'm a jerk. Yeah, you did. How about we go to dad in prayer? How about we do that thing? How about, how about we appreciate God's love and grace? That even after we sin, we still have complete, 100% access to God. And there's not some weird human work that you have to do to get back in the graces of God. I taught you this when I taught on apostasy. Believers don't fall from grace. That would make God a liar. He doesn't somehow ignore you. He would have done that as an unbeliever forever if that was the case. It's amazing how people have put God the Holy Spirit and all he wants to do is help you along. All he wants to do is minister. Do you know what minister means? It means to take you by the hand. It means to to heal your wounds, to, to add ointment, which is the word of God, right? To add ointment to your wounds when you need it most. When do you need it most? When you've sinned. But you see, under religion, I guess he just goes away until you do some human work to get him back. Don't do that. You're always in the graces of God. Don't let anybody ever tell you any differently. So stop assuming that the spiritual life is a light switch as if you're somehow ejected from the light when you grieve the Spirit. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you again for this morning's message, for a time to worship you in this, the most wonderful of ways. Thank you for giving us a place of worship where we can break bread together in the unity of the faith, where we can shake off the world completely and encourage each other for as long as it is today. We pray, Father, that our hearts be moved to always do good, not just in word, but in deed also. That those lives that we touch are forever impressed with your Son's heart working through us expressing your love to them. We pray also for those still lost, that they might seek you and find you, and that your grace meet them where they stand in their sins and offer them hope everlasting. May you bless all traveling from this local assembly. It's in Christ's precious name that we do pray, by the power of the Spirit, amen. Thank you.